0: Hey, one more thing before you go. What do you do when you have a life-changing event at 19 years old? How do you learn to live and love differently after a near-death experience? How do you align your soul, spirit, mind, and body after understanding that life can change in an instant? Stay tuned. We're going to answer these questions and more when we talk to a woman whose life was changed dramatically after her transformation of near-death experience. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. My guest in this episode had a life-changing experience when she was a 19-year-old cadet at the United States Air Force Academy, Nicole Kerr will be forced to learn to live and love differently following a terrifying and transformational near-death experience. Her memory of the crash came back 20 years later and has taken Nicole almost another two decades to align her soul, her spirit, her mind, and her body, proving healing is certainly a non-linear process. She's an award-winning health expert and co-author of Eating the Rainbow, Lifelong Nutrition Wellness. Without Lies, Hype, or Calculus, She's appeared on CNN, PBS, CBS, ABC—that's a tongue twister. The Food Channel, and a host of other TV and radio shows to share her unique perspective on wellness, lifestyle, and nutrition. She's also the author of "The Author of You Are Deathless: A Near Death Experience and ha- Taught Me How to Fully Live and Not Fear Death." Welcome to the show, Nicole
1: thank you so much michael i am delighted to be here with you and i look forward to today's discussion
0: i'm ecstatic that you're here i think that (laughs) you have an amazing journey and as we talked about before we started um it's unique because everything that you're going to talk about or most everything you're going to talk about i know where those locations are i know where you went to school. I know where you had your accident. <laughs> I feel like I should be lot. saluting you, <laughs> sir. <laughs> well, I was only a sergeant, so you know, sergeants don't get saluted. <laughs> um, so you, I like to unfold people's lives as we start. I know we get a—it's a tremendous story to tell about your life journey because you had had such an amazing journey of where you came from and where you're at in today. And I think that um, what we have to share with you, the listener and the viewer, um, you're going to find that this is an opportunity for you to really, really understand that although life can change in an instant, we can always make a positive out of it, number one. And that, number two, when you thought nothing else existed on on the other side, think again.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, I guess I'll just kind of say... I finally have come full circle in my life. I was born at Camp Lejeune here in North Carolina. And that's about 33 miles away in Jacksonville. And my dad was a Marine. He did go to the US Air Force Academy. He was in the second class that graduated. uh, And then he cross commissioned into the Marine Corps. And then Uh, They moved uh, around a little bit and then wound up in Mississippi. So all my formative years were spent in Jackson, Mississippi. Mississippi is, in case you haven't been there, it is the deep south. And it is also known as the Bible Belt. So I grew up in a extremely religious uh, um, environment, not only with my family, but the area as well. Uh, I got a, a double dose of it because my dad was Southern Baptist and my mother was Lutheran. So the way they did it is we went to the Lutheran church in the morning, and then we went to the Baptist church at night. They went to the Baptist church on Wednesday night. So we spent a lot of time in church. Oh, and you can't forget the revivals, okay? That's where you had to pack the pew. Well, with six people in our family, we could pack a pew just with our family. But a lot, a lot of religion growing up, and needless to say when we got older we could decide which church we wanted to go to i will give the baptist a lot of credit at least they have more fun they have a gym a bowling alley uh a lot of recreational type activities softball teams whereas the lutheran church not so much but um i'll have
0: to remember that
1: And there too, the thing is, is they they both talk about God and it's supposed to be the same God, but they have different rules in order to follow, to get to God. So as a child, it's really confusing on this church is saying this, yep. and this, this church is saying that. So it's really, um, you know, very, you're very steeped in religion there, just like you're steeped in sweet tea and fried foods and that kind of culture, you know, putting bacon fat and everything. Right. Um, it's, has uh, a, as a dietitian, I can tell you, you know, it's one of the worst areas in our country for chronic diseases because they eat so unhealthy. Sorry, Mississippi, but you do. You know, <laughs> and it's it, one. It,
0: my grandmother, my grandparents, my on my mother's side, Mississippi. So it, I, I understand that. And she learned to cook from her mother, of course. And it was talking about pork chops and a half inch of grease. And yeah. then take that grease and make gravy and smother the gravy <laughs> and butter on top of the potatoes. So, yeah, yeah I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> there's also,
1: there's, there's, they're also in the stroke and heart attack belt as well. So, um, wow. Anyhow, um, and, and unfortunately, a lot of poverty as well. You know, Mississippi is, I think, the most impoverished state in the United States. So it's, um, I came from um, middle to upper class family, and my dad had his own company called Yazoo. We spent weekends working at the company. Uh, It was a lawnmower company. And so we, we grew up basically not having a whole lot of fun or we had to work really hard in order to get a reward like to go even swimming you had to get your chores done he ran us like do you remember the movie the great santini i do that's kind of the way we were brought up you know dad had his own commandments plus we had the ten commandments and in our eyes growing up i have three other siblings, you know, our father was God. So uh, you had to please him in order to get to God in heaven. Plus he was a
0: Marine, which which doubled that.
1: Yeah. You know, God bless the Marines, but they're black and they're white. (laughs) There's no gray in between. The military just drills that out of you, you know. Um, So it, uh, we grew up private school until I was in the eighth grade and then my mother had this brilliant idea that they were paying taxes and we were going to go to public schools. So I was one of two buses that was bussed into an all black area with a school that was 98 percent African-American. Do um, you can't imagine why I, I was just like, what has happened to me? Yeah, um, especially for, in Mississippi. Yeah. So that was a life changing experience right around eighth grade uh that was what I would say is defining uh, my dad's rules didn't allow for dating so I never learned that whole um, piece on how to date and then when it came time uh, I went I put myself back in a private school um halfway through my junior year my parents went on a trip and they came back and I said mom I I pulled out of the public school I'm back in a private school and I said for the next year and a half that's what I want to do to graduate and that was hard because They all made their friends in Mm -hmm. the seventh grade when they started going to school together. You know the homecoming queen; we knew who she was going to be in the seventh grade. You know that whole type of thing. But I, I went there, and then uh, I never even thought I was modeling. I was head of a teen board. I Seventeen magazine. I was their rep from Mississippi, and I never thought about the military. I didn't. I mean, I didn't like planes necessarily. I mean, like they got me from one place to another, but I didn't have this passion for anything military related. So my dad was like, one of you kids need to follow in my footsteps. And I knew my older sister wouldn't. And my two younger brothers uh, wouldn't either because they didn't have the grades or the eyesight. So I was gonna step up and be daddy's girl. And this is where the identity of people pleasing killed me and it will kill you if that is one of the identities that you have in the in in your world you know because at the end of the day if you're always trying to please somebody else you're going to feel like a roach that got stomped on and squished you're not going to get anything out of that and that is really hard for people growing up in the south because we're taught to please people especially women you know we were going to school back then most girls to get their MRS degree, you know, and uh, that sweet kind of fluffy talk that the South is known for, but it's not, you know, it's not your truth. And you're taught not to hurt your mother, you know, that's like the fourth commandment is, it's, you know, about honoring your parents, but they need to put in there, you don't even hurt them, you know, or talk back to them or anything like that, you know, so it, you get really conditioned into this way of being and having, you know, any feelings that you have that disagree with the way your parents think um, to push it down. And I gotta tell you this, Michael, because it's the truth. I got into emotional work later in my career. We are a very illiterate society when it comes to emotions. We grow up with pretty much four, bad, sad, mad, and glad.
0: I can agree with that.
1: And then there's this whole buffet that we don't know and so we just push them all down. So that is an issue when you're aligning your mind, body and soul and spirit, you've got to be able to embody emotions. That means they have to get from your neck into the rest of your body instead of thinking of it and intellectualizing the emotion. So I have helped, and, and there are all kinds of techniques out there that help people do this. The one that I was doing was neuroemotional technique, but there's EMDR, there's tapping, there's biofeedback, there's all kinds of things out there now because people are realizing the importance of you're operating on an unconscious level. You're just playing out. We only operate with about 5% consciousness. So all that to say, I was going to please my father, so I applied to the academy. I don't know if people understand how arduous it is to get into these academies. You have to have a congressional nomination. You have to pass, you know, of course, medical, physical, academia standards. It's, you know, they only can nominate so many people from their state, so they're going to go with the best. Well, they started allowing women into these military academies. The first class of women graduated 80. Mine was 86. So you can see I was one of the first groups that went through. And I can just tell you there was a lot of abuse that went on. And when I got told I got accepted, the principal called me in his office and, you know, said, You have a you have a phone call from Congressman Dowdy from Washington. I was like, uh-oh. And he said, congratulations, Nicole, you know, you're, you're accepted to the academy. And I just sank in that chair and tried to act happy. But I'm like, what the hell have I done, you know, to myself, you know, because now I had to go. I didn't have an option out. And uh, off I went. And let me tell you, three weeks into basic training, I we got one phone call. And that was home. And it was three minutes. And they timed it. And I heard my mother's voice and I cried and cried and cried for three minutes straight. I didn't even say another word. I just heard her voice and cried. Then they cut me off the line and the commander says, you go sit over there and cur and get yourself together. And I didn't realize till years and years later that that was my first panic attack. That's exactly what that was. And I wanted my mother to tell me I had permission to come home, that her and dad were like, we agree if this isn't what you want, if things aren't going well, you have permission to quit. You're not going to be shamed. You're not going to be considered a failure or any of that. We love you. Regardless, come on home. And I never got that. Instead, years later, my mother tells me, I said to your father, oh, my gosh, what have we done to her? And he said, oh, she'll be fine. And I was not fine. Actually, I had to go to remedial training, which was even worse. So um, I knew then that my soul was in the wrong place. My soul was not designed to kill people. And actually, when you look at the underlying reason we have a military, it's to protect and defend the United States of America. And that involves training with killing people because that's what we would do is go to war and you're risking your life. So we were learning techniques, whether it was, um, you know, firing weapons, armed to armed combat, whatever it was that, you would bayonets working with bayonets to to kill somebody and that's not me i i I have not a bone in my body that wants to kill another person more or less an animal or even insects but i will kill a roach i will have to tell you that um i can't handle especially the ones that fly i don't know if you've had those but oh in mississippi they would they're like B-52s, I think is what we called them, but the roaches, <laughs> I'm sorry, I do kill those. But it was okay. it was it, we'll, we'll it was you. not for me. And I tried to keep pushing myself and pushing myself and my stress got worse and worse and worse. I was making it through it, I don't know how, by the grace of God. Um, and then during hell week, I thought for sure I was gonna get kicked out because I couldn't make it through that. Somehow I did manage survival um and then my sophomore year instead of ponying up and saying i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to go back i showed up and the academics were getting much harder uh my brain michael does not think engineering it thinks more like anatomy physiology i can picture where bones and things like that go but the dynamics of physics and uh electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, I'm not that, and that's what I was getting into. So I was getting in over my head and it was really starting to scare me uh, that I would fail out, you Mm -hmm. know? And so then a Sunday at the beginning of the school year, August 28th, we all got together as a squadron. I arrived late because I was at the Commandant's house, trying to convince women to come to the Academy of all things, okay, high schoolers saying, come on, you know? Uh, but needless to say, I got there late, and I was the last to leave. I asked one of the seniors, because we can't have cars until we're juniors or seniors. I didn't know him hardly at all. I asked him for a ride back, and he said, sure. And then he went to stop at a bar and have two more beers, and then he wanted to stop and um, watch the sunset and i was hyper vigilant about the time because if we're not back by seven thirty-five, we get demerits and i didn't want to start the school year off and i was so freaking naive michael i didn't know that he had a whole plan of okay let's get some liquor into her let's go have the sunset let's fool around that sex was on his mind the whole time you know and um And when we got back on the road, the last thing I remember was uh, just actually, when my memory did come back, which was um, 19, almost 20 years later, I went to my um, chiropractor instead of going to work at CDC. And I wanted to share what the, how I wrote it in the book, because I think that really um, does make a difference in terms of describing, um, let me find it here, just, um... And the accident happened August 20th,
0: 1983,
1: right? Right. So that means 19, 20 years later, you know, uh, here it came. Okay, now I have this marked. Um... Oh my goodness. Okay, can we stop here just a minute? We can. Okay, let me find it. I had it,
0: I had it more. We're good.
1: I just wanted to read you out of the book that I wrote, You Were Deathless. Um, when my memory came back, what I remember. I had gone to my chiropractor, so Dr. West shifts his hand to a new set of acupressure points as I hear a sigh leave my body. I'm spinning around insanely fast like those tilt-aware Carnival rides. Grabbing the side of the car door. I scream as my side of the car smashes head on into something. What is it? I realize I can't stop anything and my voice fades. I fly out of my seat through the windshield. Around me, glass is shattering like splatter paint. I feel pieces of it cutting into my thighs and legs. God, this hurts. And then something slices my left foot. Bad. I try to shield my face with my hand, my mouth wide open under it. Then I'm in the air for what feels like forever. When I finally hit the ground, I understand that I am going to die. My mind freezes. I scream, oh, my God, help me. Then I have one final thought. I'm not going to make it. And that was it. That was the end of the treatment with him. And the truth was I didn't make it. Um, and that memory came up along with the rest of the next day, the rest of the memory of crossing over to the other side, my conversation on the other side and, um, what my life purpose is. So at the scene of the wreck, it was in Monument, Colorado, um, what I later learned from the paramedic who came to visit me 10 weeks into it, he came to my hospital room. I put all this together through hospital notes, through um, police reports, through district returning reports, through all of that I had kept over the years. And so I now know the way he, re- the, the guy was driving the car and my memory came back that he was trying to make a sexual pass at me. And I said, no, and he turned the wheel and the Corvette spun out. The back end of it hit a boulder, moved the boulder, flipped the car, and we were both thrown out where I was pronounced dead. Um, There was a group uh, of bystanders that were in a house. They heard it, came out, covered me up with a blanket. And then I just, it was a matter of waiting 10 to 15 minutes for the first responders to get there. and one of the emts took a look at me and um the only sign of life he could get out of me was my right pupil dilating and what do we say michael about the eyes from a spiritual context
0: well our soul it's a yeah it's a the of windows our soul. to the
1: soul so i now know that that eye was the only sign of life i had a blood pressure of 60 over zero so you can see why they thought i was That's dead head, yeah but that's the soul coming back into me when he saw that now my soul let me when i went up and i looked down and i realized i was going to die from that reading that i just gave you so my soul flew out and this casper the being kind of figure an angel who i now know was my grandfather kerr he lifted me up and we went up to this um I don't know, dimension, I guess you could call it. Uh, and I could see myself dead in the ditch there. And I don't remember any of those feelings in terms of the pain because I never, I never crashed. My soul was already out of my body. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I've heard that before where somebody said that uh, they were taken from their body prior, right directly prior to a traumatic incident like that so that the person actually couldn't feel it.
1: That's, that's exactly what happened to me uh, because I didn't want to feel that I had amputated my left foot, I had uh, broken my pelvis on both sides, I had severed my right wrist, I had a fourth degree laceration uh, in between my anal and sphincter muscle. I cut a huge hole of skin, it just all went out on my uh, right thigh. They had to skin graft that together. And then a huge road burn from sliding on the pavement, skidding along it, it just took off a couple of layers of skin there. So, um, you know, it was very obvious that, um, you know, to people looking at me that I wasn't breathing, I had no vitals that they could get. And if it hadn't been for that paramedic, um, John Hartling taking a second look at me, You know, and he's a very uh, old school Navy guy, uh, SEAL. And he was just like, I don't take anybody's word that somebody's dead. I look at him myself and I make that proclamation. And thank God he was like that because I would have for sure stayed stayed dead. So, you know, the story on the other side and the message I got, um, do you want me to go ahead and share that now?
0: Absolutely. I think that uh, uh, first and foremost, I I need to commend that individual for doing that because there are times that... As a first responder, we've come up on somebody that uh, appeared to be dead and for, by all intents and purposes looked, sounded dead, mm-hmm. and um, we didn't give up. And the ones that we didn't give up on uh, came back. Now, there were a few that obviously we lost, but uh, the uniqueness of that individual to take the time to say, it's not done until I say it's done. has yeah. put you here. So thank yeah. you, universe.
1: He, yes. I, I call him one of my angels. I have a chapter in the book called Calling All Angels. And my medical team mm-hmm. was divinely guided to me because they were all um, what I would call quirky kind of people, but right. uh, mavericks in their own way. And he had to get a IV started in my neck. Uh, that's not easy to do. Not Most easy AMT to do. Yeah. Most EMTs do not have to train no. to, to be able to do that. Then they had just gotten these thing called masked pants, uh, where you put the pants no. on the victim and it pushes all the blood up to your, um, your organs, your heart, you know, yeah. to get it up to your, your heart. Because your Yeah. And so, um, and I was doing something called, do you know this term bleeding from the bones? I do. Okay. That's, that's what he couldn't understand is that why there wasn't more blood, uh, on the scene because I was just so like, you would have thought there would have been more, but he said, no, you were bleeding from the bones, that's why. Yeah, I, so, read, that, I
0: read that in your book. It was uh, I found that interesting as well because especially, I mean, it, the, the, the crash itself as a traffic investigator had, that's investigated hundreds, if not at least a thousand accidents or more, you know, that in itself, Um, that crash that when you look at the car and you look at what's left of that car, it's hardly recognizable, number one. And theoretically, as a professional, and I say professional because I was a legitimate, trained traffic accident investigator, uh, you you wouldn't recognize the car. Yeah. As a car, you kind of go, wow, that's, I mean, you really, really were given another opportunity and, um, you know, to be here to have this conversation in regard to that. So,
1: There's the car.
0: Yeah, that's, that is, you would think anybody whatsoever would have survived for that. Now, it was a convertible, yeah, looks, yeah. but at the speeds that they anticipated that vehicle to be, and the, the way that it hit and the way that it rolled, you know, I, I don't know very many people who have survived that, something like that, even similar to that.
1: Yeah. And I will say, people always ask me, what about the driver? And I said, he survived, but his blood alcohol was double the limit.
0: That's why he survived.
1: uh, Yeah, it's exactly right. Trust me, (laughs) as
0: a DUI cop, that irritates me to no end. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, there you go. So back to um, 19 years later, what I, my message when that um, actually, my grandfather came in an angel form because he knew I would recognize an angel growing up, because the concept of God that I had at 19. 19- was one that God was dual, had a duality. He was loving and kind and protective on one side, but if you disobeyed God, then you uh, the wrath of God would come upon you. Uh, God was punitive and judgmental. So um, I didn't know about angels. I knew about the archangels from the Bible. So I believed in angels. And that is why I believe he came in that form. So I just went, and it was like, I, I'd i always remembered from day one, white, bright lights. That is the only thing for 19 years that I remembered about the wreck. And I asked my surgeon, I said, could that have been me seeing like the hospital operating room lights? She goes, no way, Nicole, you were unconscious when they brought you in and were for a while. She said, you know, that I believe is what you're, recalling as part of your NDE phenomenon, she said, you know, we almost lost you a couple of times, but you've been clear since the beginning that you just remembered these bright white lights. And Raymond Moody, who is kind of the, he coined the term uh, near death experience, he said that that is the most common trait of near death experiencers is that that bright white, clear light. And it's not blinding. It's not like headlights where you are, you know, a camera flash where you get blinded by it, you can see through it. And I think this is me when you think about colors, okay, the color white absorbs every other color, right? Correct. So when you're in this white tunnel or white light, you feel like an astronaut floating in space you feel like you're in this cocoon you have left behind all these identities all these uh mistakes um, everything human you know you've even left behind your name you're not even nicole anymore and you just feel so loved and so blissed out i mean it's really even hard to come up with words that describe it but when i get to this place on the other side um i noticed some other uh voices and i'm not in a human form but i'm understanding them and what they are talking about is that we need to ask for help on this realm and meaning the earth realm and that is asking the angels to intercede to help us with whatever we need help with and because we have free will they're not just going to pop in and say, okay, I'm here to help you. You have to specifically ask for help unless it's a unavoidable emergency like mine was. So that's the only time they'll just come in and help you. So please hear that message. Everyone, you have a whole angelic realm. You have your own guardian angels. They are all here waiting for you to ask for help in whatever it is. Don't get attached to the outcome of what it looks like. That's where we can kind of go sideways a lot. We think it needs to look like a certain way. And I've learned over the years to not pray for something specific like heal so-and-so from cancer. You know, my prayer is now to, I pray for the highest and greatest good for all because i don't know what is for the highest and greatest good of that person and their family you know so that's how i have switched my prayers instead of saying you know please you know automatically just you know have a miraculous healing in this and sometimes you know that does happen but it's in for people praying for other people i uh, suggest that you pray in a more uh, what I want to say, general way for the everyone's highest and greatest good. And that will be revealed. And But it may not be what you think.
0: That's what We, we make a habit of uh, talking to our angels. I talk to my angels every day, actually. It's kind of one of those things where um, they're probably going, you again? <laughs> uh, <who wants laughs> no, take, they're here to help us. There's who wants to take so. this one this time? <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's like going into the restaurant and the waitress goes, oh, crap, it's that guy. And they're going, hey, Dave, come here, take my table, will ya? <laughs> <laughs> um, we usually kind of ask uh, from that perspective, and I, and I can validate that. I, I myself, like I said, talk to them on a consistent basis every day. We, we talk to the archangels, we talk to our angels, and um, we ask them to bless the house and to bless us in it, and we, we've done the same thing. And whatever whatever's the, the greatest good, we, uh, I agree with that. We say, this or something better. It, yes. This or something better is the way we kind of phrase it. Not not specifically like you had just done, but this or something better for that person or for whatever we are asking for. And uh, they've always answered; they've never failed. Yeah, and so, they won't. Yeah, I've always been there. They've always been there. E- every time each one of my operations I went into, you know, it same thing. You know, before I went in, we talked to the angels, and when I came out, we thanked them and said we were grateful. So it's kind of one of those things that um they're there for us we just have yeah, to ask
1: but, yes and there's the other thing is thank them they'll be grateful you know? exactly you have to yes, be grateful yes yes you know,
0: have to be grateful for what you have in your life and what and who are there and including the angels that are over your shoulder and push you in the right direction or whisper in your ear uh, absolutely don't turn they left, work hard right. they
1: work hard for a lot of us especially if we're really stubborn <laughs> <laughs> So oh, you've been like, talking to my angels, haven't well, you? How many times you? do I need to learn that lesson about men or whatever it is? But um, uh, you've been talking the other to my angels. I received, so I want people to be real, real like you got that one. Okay, ask for help from the angels; they are there. Okay, Michael even confirms that exactly. The next, the next one I was told was not to fear death, and that was going to be my mission. And I was like, "What? That is like huge, broad, not to fear death." Yeah, I to fear dying, you know, and I'm like, uh-oh. Then it dawns on me, I'm gonna go back into that body that I can see, and it's teal-colored, striped, Azad shirt and khaki shorts, and you know, the foot is is off, but barely, just laying right there. And I just am like, I don't want to go back. I really don't. I was like, no, please, not me. Um, and unfortunately, uh. Well, I say unfortunately. Now I'm fortunate that well, I did I say come fortunately because <laughs> we're
0: having this conversation, see. <laughs> but yeah,
1: but you know, uh, I tried a couple of more times to go back. I had a code blue in one of my operations where they actually called called the time, said I was dead. Went out and told my parents to start funeral arrangements, and Dad's like, "Well, do we have her buried at the academy?" Or my mother's like, "I'm not believing she's dead." And Sure enough, the surgical nurse comes in another two minutes later. They got her going again. Um, You know, I had my lungs fill up with fluid. They could not get them to stop filling up Mm -hmm. with fluid. And, you know, I was just like my uh, my I have a military angel as well that stands and protects me. And his name is James. And it's just like he worked really hard, really, really hard to keep me here. Um, so I uh, had a couple of more and my doctor confirmed it. She said you had a couple of more uh, near death experiences, Nicole, when you were in the hospital. Um, so, you know, that message has taken me another 20 years to figure out because I had to start at, okay, I'm physically Healing, but then there's the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. And my parents, as religious as they are, when the doctor said Nicole's going to need mental health help to deal with this trauma, they said, God and Jesus are our psychologist and psychiatrist, and she'll be fine. And that was not true either. I was not fine. Uh, less than a year later, uh, I went to live with my sister in Dallas and I developed an eating disorder. Uh, compulsive eating, as it was known back then, today it would be binge eating or binge eating purge, um, but I was stuffing down the pain, and it was something I lived with for almost 20 years till I got married. It was so embarrassing. Mm. I never wanted to admit it. I struggled to put it in the book because people looking at me thinking I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist, I look great, you know, and, and then they're like, you binged? And I was like, yeah, because I was in so much pain, but I didn't know it then. They didn't know Mm -hmm. a lot about eating disorders and why, you know, you thought I went into nutrition thinking I was going to cure myself if I could just figure out what to eat. And it wasn't about that at all.
0: Well, in reality, I mean, you you, you were having PTSD from the the incident. And I think that we have come, I say we as society, um, I've known this for a long time being in, in my old profession, but we. As society have just come to the conclusion, finally, we're starting to realize that post-traumatic stress disorder comes from any traumatic incident within our life that has a negative impact on our life in one form or another, or inhibits or obstacle, puts an obstacle in front of our, our life and doesn't allow us to move forward. That's post-traumatic stress disorder, and it can happen with, with your accident. It can happen with your accident, very much so. And um, I think we finally, society's finally starting to recognize that. Same thing with sexual assault victims, uh, you know, rape victims, uh, kidnap victims, you know, um, as well as traumatic accidents, like what you went through. It is um, unfortunate that it hadn't been noticed or understood earlier, but I think now that it's finally being accepted in the mainstream that it's not shell shock. What used to be called shell shock, only soldiers got it. Um, They're finding out we as human beings get it.
1: Absolutely, and I would also venture to say from this pandemic that we have been in, and who knows the uncertainty of where things are going, um, that we are dealing with a world that is uh, PTSD, a lot of trauma, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of depression. And it is really taking a toll on people's nervous systems, staying in this fight, flight, or freeze, instead of being able to get into a parasympathetic yeah. state and allow yourself to rest and digest. And I want you to, everyone to know, this accident next year will be 40 years. I was only diagnosed with PTSD by the Veterans Administration three years ago. That's, That's how long they uh, had missed it. They told me I had migraines, they treated migraines, they treated anxiety, they treated depression, and I never got better. Those meds did not work because PTSD has a different medication or different dosing, and it's a whole different realm in the medication realm to deal with if that's the route you go um so it get help with it if you have it because let me tell you there's nothing worse than walking around this planet fearing everything and that's what we're getting into with my book is the fear of death and that is what ironically i was told i had the message that i was to bring back to people but i was fearing it myself until recently, you uh-huh. know, where I was able to recognize, oh, my God, that has been the trigger is I have needed to control things. And that goes back to the eating disorder. Right. Uh, that is in things in your life are out of control. So what you can control is the food. And it affects everyone in the family don't you know, and it's not a willpower issue. My marine dad just told me to eat less pizza. And I'm like, you don't understand. Yeah. That's not it, you know.
0: And, and that's that generation also. Yeah. That generation is, you know, just willpower. It. Exactly. Just push through it. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> it, you know, yeah, there's no. That's, right.
1: like, that's that's not working too well for me, Dad. Exactly.
0: Um, it's. <laughs> you know it. You know it they, is, could,
1: they couldn't understand it, and so um, that is why I spend a good chunk of the book um, in here talking about trauma and repressed memories. Because when I went to the chiropractor, he told me what was happening was I was having repressed memories that were now surfacing and the body keeps a score. That's a, a great book if you haven't looked at it about trauma, but it will keep a record of it. and in my opinion if it's for your higher or greater good or that of others that trauma will come out and be of service in a way that you may not ever think it could be um but because some people say nicole i i I just don't remember it happened so long ago and i said well you know do the work on your body connecting your emotions to your body do the soul work do the you know the other work and if ask your guides and angels if it's meant to be for you to know then they will allow that to come through but sometimes it doesn't need to come through because it's not going to be of service it's only going to make things much much worse
0: yeah it is i think that the 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 fact that you had, you went to a chiropractor, right? And that mm-hmm. in, in the middle of that session, that's when your memory started coming back in regard to yeah. the accident and everything else, which obviously opened up the opportunity for you to re- have a better understanding of your PTSD. Um, you, you knew that you were probably experiencing that, correct? Yeah. It, it actually started
1: when I was going to work. And I did my normal routine. I go to Starbucks and get my coffee. And then I was going to the CDC in Atlanta where I was working. And I sat there and I had at the light and I had a memory of exactly how I sat in the car. I mean, it was clear as day. And and so then I went on to the chiropractor and said, I'm going to sit in your waiting room until you have an opening because I am shaking here. And he said, "Okay, they're repressed memories. You're okay. This is just your body reliving it and you have been through it but we'll we'll help guide you through it
0: that's amazing Uh, it's a good thing that he did that i mean that's very helpful yeah that's Um, what i'm
1: saying the the people have have been the ones that have come to my help aid and help have had the right skill set and tools to be able to to work, you know, through me. Now, I've been misdiagnosed a couple of times. You know, it's there's there's a blend of Eastern and there's a blend of Western. Uh, there's a holistic pattern to this, but you have to address, when you look at a the circle of a wellness uh, wheel, if you take the very basics and divide it into quarters, you have physical, you have uh, mental, you have emotional, and you have spiritual. You have to address all of those to truly be in alignment with who you are. And I think I started in the physical realm as a dietitian, thinking, okay, I'll tell people what to eat. And then I recognized when people got stressed out and even during this pandemic, right. they go to comfort foods, they the entire point, uh, Ben and Jerry's and they want the whole pizza. They want their comfort foods. Yep. Well, that's okay that dopamine hit for a little while. But when something goes on for two and a half, three years, four years, you can't keep that up. And your body is going to be in a state of just massive inflammation. And you're going to feel yucky, you know, so you've got to deal with diet, you got to deal with uh, exercise and sleep. But then you have to deal with the mental. And that's what we're seeing. I'm, I'm seeing it with all this mass murders that are going on in these you know 15 year old kids are the, these kids that are just not getting the mental health they're needing yeah. um access to firearms and just killing people at random uh it's just insane that we don't have you know stronger mental health program That I just agree. not we that's adding to our fears which we don't need we need to have them calm down and because when you're in fear you can't get clarity and in making any decision you need clarity
0: i agree with and that so then time.
1: i went to emotional which i trained in net to get at the subconscious of where is that trigger coming from where, what age were you when it happened that you weren't able to process and so when it happens again or something similar your brain goes back to that age right. and relives that age so you're acting it out as a six-year-old would or a 20-year-old you know and it can be something as simple as your first date commented on uh your body when you had sex something negative and right. so you didn't tell that person how you really felt about that comment you just let it go and push and- down And then every guy you've been with since you're wondering if that's what they're thinking and then you know you'll probably attract someone who'll do the same thing and say the same thing or something similar Mm -hmm. and then you get into that stressed state and you're going oh my gosh and you don't realize it's unconscious but it's running your whole energy system and now i'm in spiritual which is my truly my vocation the rest of them were occupations and it took me this long I'm 40 years I
0: said,
1: yeah i said 40 years i feel like the israelites in the where the desert wandering, or where in the they're desert. wandering around or whatever for 40 years i'm like now mm. i realize on the other side there's no linear timeline but i'm like oh my gosh god can you like uh speed it
0: up on yeah, the t- earth timeline for me. Tighten the timeline that- here just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's been my whole adulthood. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, can you, can you hang on one second? I have to pause. Yeah. My dog is running back and forth between here and the door. Okay, go I'm get here. that. So when you were, when you were on the other side, you heard these other voices and, and um, you, from what you remember, uh, they give you this new purpose in your life, this new um, opportunity for you to help Others understand is that we shouldn't fear death. Um, I mean, was it like a verbal conversation? How did that take place?
1: I, I, I heard it, you know, so it was somehow the transmission in this spirit form, this, you know, vapor kind of form of, it was in a way that I could hear it. And that's how I process things, um, uh, from an auditory perspective with my angels, with my guides, some people are clairvoyant, some people are clairsentient, but that's, I clearly heard that message and I was like, but when I went back into my body and woke up in the ICU, I had no memory of it except the bright white lights. So it was completely wiped because I had to go back to basically being an infant. Okay, I couldn't walk on my own. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I was totally dependent on the hospital for four months and then another eight months with my mother. Okay, so she became my best friend. Uh, We got codependent and my dad was like, okay, I got to break this up. So he sent me to live with my sister who wasn't getting a sister. She was getting um, somebody who still needed help, an invalid and um, which, you know, it was a real strain on her, you know, cause that's when I went into my eating disorder, she didn't know what was going on. She just knew that I was not happy and that food was disappearing. And, um, you know, she was out dating, she was having a, the fun scene and I was home alone, just, you know, in pain and, and feeling like nobody would ever desire me, no guy would ever desire me. Um, because I had all these scars. I had a colostomy that later was reversed. But, you know, it's all this low self-esteem that has taken me years to work through and to find my path to these different healers and different modalities to help me heal. And, And then I had to work through the whole concept of God, you know, because the God that I experienced on the other side was not the God that I was raised with. And so how do you make sense of that? And, you know, I call it the vending machine concept of God, because I was raised where you put in the behavior that you want. I mean, you you know, like a Coke machine, you put it in, you punch the button, I'm going to have a Coca-Cola, here's the money, here's the right behavior. And then a Coca-Cola should come out, right? If you do that, well, what if what if it doesn't? What if a Mountain Dew comes out? And then you go, uh oh, I must've done something wrong. And then what if nothing comes out of the machine, you know, it's stuck. And then you think, okay, what did I do wrong? It's never the bending machine's fault. It's your fault. And it's kind of like, that's how I saw God is if I did the right behaviors, then why did this happen to me? And when I was doing a lot of the emotional work, I had a six year old client, and she was coming to me, she was at a fundamental church and she was like, I am scared of the devil. I'm scared. I'm going to go to hell. She's only six years old. And she said, I don't want to be separated from my family. And I said, well, well who do you think God is? What is, you know, how do you see God? And she eagerly told me, I'm going to read this out of the book. God is a blue spirit with colors and balloons in all different colors no head and can talk. And I thought that oh. is the best definition of God that I have ever heard. And I hope that she will never have any filters that keep her from remembering that because that opened up that bright white light. What I saw on the other side were all these different colors that don't fit. Uh, they're more colors than the ones that are in the 64 Crayola color box or whatever it is now. I, I don't have kids, so I don't know what it's grown, the size has grown to, but uh, pretty they're more colors. <laughs> There are more colors that come in that, you know, with the little built-in sharpener. Um, I think that was the favorite, that was the favorite uh, school supply that I I wanted. But um, anyway, the white absorbs it all. So when you're crossing over to the other dimension and you see this white light, you're wrapped in this white light, you're like this cocoon, that is God in my I? A pres- am I uh opinion. experience and it's an energy because there's nowhere that God is not. There God has no beginning, God has no end. Um and I will tell you that God I felt just I was enveloped in God. God was in me, God was me, I was God. Um God was presence and fullness and oneness, but most of all God was love and pure non judgmental love. And in that state, it was not that I suddenly had been forgiven for my mistakes, It's that they no longer existed. Nothing I had done on earth was being weighed or measured. Uh, It was simply that way my story had played out. And I had been searching externally for God and didn't realize that it was in me the whole time.
0: Well, and I've heard that before. I think that, you know, I grew up Catholic. I, I am not a practicing Catholic any longer. Um, you I and my husband Catholic. both, recovering. Recovering. <laughs> recovering. <laughs> I'll have to use that. <laughs> I have recovering. That's
1: actually the second highest denomination, recovering Catholics. Catholics are first, then recovering Catholics. Recovering Catholics then, are second. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, stand up and say, my name is Michael. I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs>
1: yeah, you guys you guys got loaded with guilt and shame,
0: oh, yeah. I mean, it it's it is it's amazing. I mean, I and then it's a whole different conversation. but you know, when uh, my parents got divorced, um my mother was a, a devout, you know, you go to church, you go to church, you go to church, you go to church. Everything was about church. Uh, I'm sure similar to your parents, it was same thing. My mother is uh, from West Virginia, and um uh, it. Same thing back there. It's kind of the same thing as the South. It is church, 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 church. So anyway, we get down there, and um, we go to go to church, and because my parents had divorced, all of a sudden my mother couldn't take communion, and then us kids couldn't take communion. And it was like, uh, okay, why are you punishing, number one, why are you punishing the kids? Because we had nothing to do with this you know, kind of a thing, so it changed my perspective on it, and and, if she, I mean, she's deceased now, she's up in heaven, or I'm sure she's up in heaven, Um, the, you know, I don't mean that negatively, It's, no, no, you it can is, call it
1: heaven, it? It, it's, it's a wonderful place, it, it's an absolutely brilliant, wonderful place. Well, yeah, and, and
0: the, the thing of it is, is that, you know, you she went from church to church, she went to Nazarene, she went to Baptist, Southern Baptist, and, um, you name it, she went to it, trying to fit in, trying to get somebody to accept her. Yeah. The Catholic Church didn't, and it kind of, it, it, it uh, closed the door for me on yes. the Catholic Church, because I felt that mm-hmm. you should be there for somebody, not exclude them, and you should be there, and the kids had nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's not like the kids said, hey, mom, dad, get a divorce. You know, we were kids. And um, so, yeah, my my outlook on that. But at the same time, they also, you grow up in that environment where you, I mean, I grew up when the nuns would smack your hands for when you're in Sunday school and You get smacked with a ruler, which you can't, you can't get away with these days, but they literally would smack your hand if you did something or said something wrong, you weren't sitting up straight or whatever the case may be. And they made you fear God. Yes. I better do this or God's going to hate me. I better do this or God's this. And I I have, I've been on a similar journey to yours in certain aspects that, uh, you know, you don't, need to fear God and you don't need God's not a vengeful God God doesn't put you in front of him and go well here's all the things you did wrong so you know now's the time to pay up
1: none of that existed there that's why I I said what I said the mistakes there's not no Um, that's all man-made it's all man-made fear to keep you in control and it's not we're starting to come to the the recognition that those beliefs that we were given were misinterpreted, misguided yeah. and I'm going to just say false, were lies, you I know, agree. and creating this concept of a god that actually takes on a person, you know, and that somehow you're going to be judged because that yeah. is one of the 10 common lessons that I talk about in the book from near death experiences is you are not judged. And even Jesus said, judge, not lest you be judged. But what, I, I, I mean, I struggle to find a church that's not hypocritical, you know? Well, it, um, yeah.
0: And there's something you said earlier, kind of really, it, it hit a note with me because you had said that about, about different Bibles. You know, and, and it, this is not a religious talk, obviously, and, and I no way. If, if you go to church and you believe in the church, perfectly up to you, that does not bother me whatsoever. But the stuff that I studied and the theology that I studied later when I went to university, I delved into a little bit of that, was the fact that man wrote the Bible 50 years after Jesus even died. And that's from story to story to story to story. And then King James decided, well, we're going to make my version of the Bible. And the Pope said, we're going to make my version of the Bible. And you have different versions of the Bible in different religions and different versions of the Bible within those religions. So yeah. I'm glad that you clarified that because I think that, you know, we are all part of the universe collectively. Absolutely. We're all connected collectively, in, in my opinion. And, and and I'm getting that from our conversation that, that that kind of is correct right
1: yes and that is everyone and everything is connected we are energy and our energy is connected when you lose this um physical vessel that is walking around you know it's like god walking around in human form some you know or in this when we die and this decays uh or we preserve it however we're going to choose to do that but what comes out is the soul and if you think about it that is the vapor it's your breath it's what keeps you alive when you Mm -hmm. put your hand on a cold day you can see that that is it like evaporates okay it's it's um casper the ghost kind of energy you know it it, it doesn't have a defined shape but it's all connected and your soul lives on forever. It has this really long trajectory. This is not our first rodeo, Michael, Um, and I hope your audience can get that. You know, we're not going to get everything done in one lifetime. We came here to learn a lesson and mine, I was on the wrong path. I was on the path to being someone who's going to be killing people and I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And it was keeping me from being me. I was trying to right. be who my father wanted me to be instead of being the being that, that God created me to be. And I'm just now coming into her in my fifties, late fifties here, you know? But it's exciting and it's yeah. freeing. And, and I know it because I can trust my intuition on it. And for so long, I was told you're making this up because it was a memory. And how, you know how do you know about right. a memory? And, I, and women with sexual abuse and men too, you know, that they have struggled because it's a memory and uh, there's no evidence yep. for it. But um, I wanna say to people, trust your gut. And then when you get clear and you believe it and you love yourself unconditionally, you will start going, oh, that makes so much sense. Now I know why mm-hmm. I didn't get married till I was 40. I couldn't date a guy without pleasing them. Um, And I was living with this fear. Here we get back to the fear that Mm -hmm. if I displeased them, they could kill me, which is what happened. And then you put a really controlling dad who you never got angry. You know, you would get punished. You you know, that all Mm -hmm. just melds together and it's just like. Oh, no, I'm not going to marry this person. I don't want to put myself at such risk again. So you keep yourself safe and you keep yourself small and you keep your situations around you controlled as best you can. And that's not living life. And that's what I want people to know. That is not living life and loving ourselves. Truly doing that, not putting other people ahead of yourself, but loving you, not shooting yourself because when you should, I should have done this, I should have done that. What you're doing is you're just shaming you. And shame is one of the lowest vibrations. And it brings you way down. So if you're using that on your children, or your husband uses it, anybody uses it on you, you use it on yourself, cut that one straight off at the head. No more shouldn't.
0: I agree. I agree 100%. I think that- Inter, we're starting to recognize intergenerational trauma. Yes. Where things have been passed down through the family and then it reflects upon us as children. And then unfortunately, sometimes we pass that on to our children, whether it be one extreme or the other. You know, uh, as I said earlier, my parents were, both my parents were alcoholics. My father died at 39 years old uh, from alcohol. And uh, I don't touch, mm-hmm. I really don't touch So young. Yeah. Okay, so, and that's why I became a DUI cop. That's why I became a cop, actually. Um, But I have other family members that went the other direction. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of go, well, it, dad did it, so it was okay if I do it. Kind of a situation. And then you start realizing that you look back and you see, well, my mother was an alcoholic. Then I found out my grandfather, her dad was an alcoholic. And then I found okay. out the family Father before that, the great-great, her grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, I always try to catch up with that. Sometimes I don't always get it right. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, her grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, was an alcoholic. So my mother felt that she had to be an alcoholic, kind of a thing. And it just, intergenerational trauma, I think, has a negative effect on our lives and once we recognize it. whole nother conversation, but... We recognize yeah, it. It helped us to we, move forward,
1: and that's why I do talk about trauma because my parents never healed their trauma wounds. My mother was born in Kiev. Look at what's going on at Kiev now, yeah, yeah. and the Ukraine. And now here she is, eighty-four. She's reliving the trauma when oh, she sees yeah. it on TV because she was a very young girl then. They shame. got out, but her home was lost. Her you know die die mutterland you know uh and so it is imperative that we in our generation heal our trauma wounds so that we can move on and not pass them forward um and that is where we are kind of as a world is we're at this point of something's going to give here okay and we are Bridgers from the old to the new, we need a new way of uh, a new system uh, in place of living where everyone is respected. They're all sentient beings. Okay, so our little doggies, um, you know, all the, the the wildlife in Africa, all sentient beings are respected, and our Mother Earth, we treat her with kindness and the respect that she deserves instead of pouring pollutants down, you know, streams and littering her and all that kind of stuff. Don't even get me started on that whole thing. That's a whole other two hour
0: conversation. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But
1: I want people also to know you're never alone, okay? Even though the pandemic, a lot of people, quote, physically died alone, um, I understand and I want people to understand this too. That i'm not negating that your human part with the emotions you're going to have grief you're going to have sadness you're going to have all of that that comes with the loss of a loved one but i'm trying to get people to expand this in a bigger cosmic context Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: the benevolence of life and 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 um where we need to go in creating a new culture that doesn't see death as doom and gloom most of the books that are written about death are all very depressing right. and that is not the truth about death now dying leading up to it may be painful but the moment of death your deceased loved ones the angels everyone is around you you go to the other side you're not alone and i want people to realize that and that's all part of of this huge massive collection of indie ears that all pretty much have the same stories you know coming back and i just put it all together in my book so you know my nde is a part of the book but it's Mm -hmm. also the trauma i went through how you have to get through trauma and this work that i call spiritual transformational experience i'm telling you it's not easy it is not easy to let go of belief systems that have been handed down for every generation But you know in your gut, this doesn't align with me anymore. You Mm -hmm. know, church, you don't go, you know, your mother expects you to be at church, you know, you go to please her, but you're sitting there and your mind's thinking about what am I gonna have for lunch or what I'm gonna, you know, you're just going through the motions. It's time to quit going through the motions and it's time to start actually processing, dealing with it and changing your behavior because you can't do anything unless you're aware of it.
0: I agree with that, that's profound. I, i've got to ask this question because i know that i've read and seen other ndes that have talked about going to hell and what they felt was hell and do you believe in hell
1: i don't believe in hell as a place that's in the middle of the earth that's on fire that was described to me as the baptist church are going to go to hell this destination mm-hmm. um because all i could think about and kids take things literally is that How do you take a shower when you're on fire all the time? And uh, are you going to be eating barbecue all the time? I mean, I couldn't translate that, but Mm. I think people experience hell on earth. And I think there is uh, uh, for people that have, that are evil people and that are uh, really uh, dangerous. And you saw it with, you know, the way other people treat other people with domestic violence and stuff like that as a cop um, all your years. I think there's a, there's the earth, and then there's this um, r- realm around it called psychic pollution. And when we die, our souls, it's like a balloon, like a heart-shaped balloon. It just mm-hmm. got cut, it goes straight up, okay? That happens for probably 99% of the people. But some people, they get stuck in this wobble of this psychic pollution, and it's gonna take them a little bit longer for their soul to get to where it needs to be. So uh, that's when people say they've gone to hell. Um, I think it's coming from either a past life that they're having and recalling, or it is coming from a place in them that has not been able to heal something present day that they're mm-hmm. still stuck on, you know? And the the experience is trying to get them to unhook it because the soul is not about evilness and, uh, the uh, hell or anything like that. The soul is nothing but light, love, beauty, uh, goodness, and that's what we're all born with, you know.
0: Well, you and I asked that question for a couple of reasons. One is to kind of see what kind of validation that, that you may have had, and two, the innate um, need for justice in 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 my soul, basically. When you look at individuals, well, like we can use Hitler as an example killing six million Jews, you know, it's hard to fathom that these individuals would be taken up and encompassed in love. You know what I mean? It, it you, yeah. mean, you really kind of stop thinking, well, after all of that and what they did, all of that in, in, in dividing families, taking families away, killing people, gassing people, you know, how can that take place? So you would hope that there was some kind of um, I won't say necessarily retribution, but the consequences for your actions here on Earth.
1: Yeah, well, I think for those people, they have totally disconnected from who they are as a spiritual being. They have no connection to their soul, okay? They have had uh, fractured souls, and they never have gotten their soul back to even have that come in to experience who they truly are and so they identify with the human physical three-dimensional world and that's what they live in they don't seek mm-hmm. for a they're unable to seek for a higher self-actualization um a, a, an understanding of um soul and spirit and what the world is really about they, it's a complete disconnect. And there's a lot of people that they can't connect with it for whatever you know reason. reason. Um, and they're going to have to come back again and do it differently. you know. Um, and because that, I, I've seen that a lot. People just can't get it. And they don't understand it. They don't want it. Right. They want to just be able to do what they want to do to whomever they want to do and not have to pay a price.
0: Which is unfortunate this day and age it just is yeah
1: and we're in a very divisive time in terms of that you know and it's like what is the truth you know i'm speaking to you my truth from my experience you know um i'm not making this up and it and i have because i worked at cdc you know i have a very science oriented mind so i am going to the international association of near-death studies and i'm looking at what other people are saying because this is not something that's you can, can do a study on. It's not like, okay, uh, I can study that you had this And every person's NDE experience is different, but these are the commonalities that you can right. take away
0: from it. It's like every journey. I mean, you yeah. went through your journey and your accident and your journey and your surgeries and everything. We share a commonality in that because I've gone through eight surgeries. Um, I understand it from that perspective, but each of our journeys are unique to each other you know there are things in your in your journey that i didn't experience and i'm sure there are things in my journey that you hadn't experienced but we still share the commonality of yes. having to go through each one of those and understand what happens when you go through those traumatic things um so yeah it's it's we're all connected we're all connected
1: yeah and you know i think the last thing is is just learning to love you unconditionally because so many of us grew up with conditional love and that is so hard but to be gentle with yourself you know and just you know just draw a little heart over your heart and just breathe in how much love you have for yourself that you're here today and it really is a gift because we never know we do not know when um death is gonna arrive we just don't i didn't think it was going to happen at 19 i can tell you that
0: life can change in an instant um speaking of connecting how does somebody connect with you
1: oh i would love for you to connect with me um go to my website it is www.nicolekerr.com and it's n-i-c-o-l-e-k-e-r-r dot com i'm also on um instagram i'm on facebook I'm on LinkedIn. Um, it's under Nicole.angelique, Angelique A N G E L I Q U E Kerr. I'm also on Goodreads, and you can buy my book. Uh, it's a paperback right now at Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Have it discounted to nine dollars and ninety nine cents. And I guarantee you that book and a cup of coffee or a frappuccino or whatever you want, um, it will definitely make an impression if you are, or make you think is what I should say. Um, and that's what I want people to do. There's a checklist at the end of the book about, um, fears you may have about death. Okay. So you can check those off. If you're in a book club, there's book club discussion. And I think it would be a fascinating discussion to have at a book club about different people's concepts and fears related to death. It will definitely get you knowing each other on a more intimate level. And if I'm on the same times, if I can work my schedule, I will pop into your Zoom book discussion, say hi, and answer any questions that you have.
0: As a bonus.
1: As a bonus. As that's a bonus. Free. It's a bonus. Yep.
0: Well, I'll make sure that everything's in the the links are in the, the show notes and everything so everybody knows how to get a hold of you and make it easy for them to be able to connect with you. So it'll be in your bio. I would appreciate and, that. Um,
1: Thank you, Michael.
0: Your, your bio and then the uh, social media will have all the links below your your bio on the website. So I, I appreciate that. I'll make sure everybody can get in touch with you. Um, and you may have already just said this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. This is one more thing before you go. So do you have any words of wisdom? But I think you just covered it, but maybe you can surprise me.
1: Um, I'm just going to say you've got, please love yourself. You have to start there. Don't expect uh, and be dependent on other people loving you because that is going to involve conditions, Um, except from your little doggy maybe. Um, But, um, you know, please be gentle with yourself. Please don't talk negatively to yourself. Love you no matter what you're going through. And also start diving in to false belief systems that are no longer serving you and actually sabotaging you from what you actually want in life and who you are in life.
0: Profound words of wisdom. Thank you very much for sharing those. Of course. Nicole, I feel like I'm talking to my daughter. I mean, we're about the same age, <laughs> but I'm still feeling like talking to my daughter, because my daughter, I told you named name Nicole. So yeah. now, Nicole, every time I say Nicole, I am think, but that's a good thing, see? Um, thank you very much for sharing your journey. Thank you very much for sharing your words of wisdom and your experience with us. I really appreciate it. I hope that we've inspired people and we've motivated them. And I do believe that we've educated them in such a manner that they can uh, have a better understanding of death and not to fear it and what may be on the other side for them, if it does happen. So. Well, it will happen. I will, yeah, yeah been, <laughs> I won't say if, we'll just say- You're not going to
1: get out of it. Sorry.
0: We'll Sorry say everybody. when. <laughs> uh, but thank you very much for taking this journey with me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, I
1: absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. And I look forward to connecting with more of your audience and happy holidays. It makes a great gift as well. Um, and especially if someone is dealing with some loved one and they're scared about death, you know, they're, they're trepid about what that's going to look like. Um, uh, I hope that they will find my book inspiring.
0: That would be fantastic. I think it's an opportunity for people to learn again. Thank you very much. I hope that we can thank have you. a conversation in the future.
1: Sounds good. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.